Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca/canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, Bruce. Hi, Jesse. Bruce Thorson, senior producer of this show. It's your first time on the show. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm okay. What do you uh, What do you have for us this week? Let me pose a question for you first. I, I want to mention two Canadian icons, David Suzuki and the director James Cameron. What do you think they could possibly have in common? Beards. They're both bearded. I don't That's know. True. I, I I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> the, that actually, the three of us. Uh, I, you too. Me, you, David Suzuki, and James Cameron. An elite group of bearded Canadian men. An elite group of bearded Canadian men. Yeah, they're they're Canadian. I guess that's what they have in common is that is that they are both Canadian. Is there something else? Uh, there is. I mean, they're both filmmakers uh, in in different ways. Obviously, Suzuki's dedicated decades of his life to producing groundbreaking environmental documentaries, and Cameron. It's pretty well known that his Avatar series you know, the billions and billions of dollar franchise is underpinned by a serious commitment and interest in environmental issues. Okay. Where exactly are you going with this? Okay. I got, there's one more thing that's common if, and I had to set that up so that it all makes sense. When Suzuki or Cameron need someone to get a particularly dangerous underwater shot, say for Suzuki uh, swimming underneath a polar bear in the Arctic Sea, or for Cameron when he's trying to plot out the most improbable and dangerous escape from an underwater cave. They call one person. Now you're supposed to ask me who that person could be. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I, uh, it's sort of uh, 
demands me to ask you, so who, who is this one person they call, Bruce? Who are they going to call? The woman's name is Jill Heinerth, and she is an aquanaut. An aquanaut. Yeah, I mean, if you think of astronauts, right, they go out, they explore space. Like not a scuba diver? Oh, it's so much more than a scuba diver. This is a profession. This is a calling. This is exploration of the highest order. And Jill is one of the best in the world. Here's what James Cameron has to say about her. Quote, more people have been to the moon than to places that Jill Heinerth has explored deep inside our watery planet. A world-class technical diver and filmmaker, Jill's extraordinary path from under Antarctic icebergs to tropical blue holes is proof that real life is far more exciting than fiction, end quote. So that's how Cameron sees it. And what is capable in terms of imaging these days, the, the incredible high-resolution images that cameras are able to get at like incredibly deep depths, these, these pictures... I will concede, I don't mean to seem jaded here, they're amazing pictures. How about sound recording uh, underwater, Bruce? Oh, because we're a podcast? Because this happens to be a podcast. What kind of audio do aquanauts come back up to surface with? One of the wonderful things about Jill Heinerth is she's a documentarian herself. Uh, She operates cameras and she records sound underwater. So we've got that coming up. This is our first underwater show. Bruce, you've been immersed in this, I'm sorry, I had to, uh, for weeks now, and I don't argue that it sounds, like, incredibly cool. Like, her work sounds like what she's doing. She's doing it at a world-class level, and I could understand being fascinated with this, but it also sounds like an inspirational and, and positive and, and, and almost cheerful story. I know, that that's not the Canada Land vibe. We don't do positive, cheerful uh, stories here. Like, usually in our stories, something really bad happens. Yeah. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Alexandra Beloy Poudret, Elizabeth Rice, Donnie Scriver, Dana Peterson, Xu Zhao Lin, Dale Pidlisny, David Cusson. And listen, uh, for our 10th anniversary, we asked uh, various Canadians if they think Canada is better or worse off because of Canada Land. And one of the people we asked is former leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Aaron O'Toole. He almost answered. Canada is the true north, strong and free. And our land is strong and free because of the truth from outlets like Canada Land. Happy 10th anniversary. I'm going to ask you a question, and it's a bit rude, I guess, but I think it's a fair question. And it's one that needs to be asked. What are you going to do about it? That's the question. What are you going to do about it? Social media has become a sewer. Everybody is yelling at each other. There's nowhere left to have a civil, informed conversation. Okay, fine, but what are you going to do about it? The news in Canada is biased or it's missing the point or it's all just opinion or it's completely out of touch with reality or or it's just not showing up to do its job. Okay, fine, but what are you going to do about it? We can go bigger here. Things are really falling apart. They are breaking down. Our institutions are weak. Our governance seems out of touch and unaccountable. The social contract that we all have with each other is fraying to shreds. This seems to be happening. Fine, but what are you going to do about it? Because if you're doing nothing, then I don't know, like, what did you expect? You know, and what can you expect? But, but more of the same. Canada land cannot solve all of those problems above. But 
given how tiny we are here, a team of like 20 people on a shoestring budget, I think we make an impressive dent in some of that stuff. We offer informed and thoughtful and respectful conversations and debates. We look for things that the news misses. Specifically, that's what we look for. And then we spend weeks or months reporting those things. We put tough questions to politicians and we hold power to account. And kicking a few bucks a month over to us so that we can do more of that, that is something you can do about all of this. Look, we are getting close to the end of our annual crowdfunding campaign. I promise you that the media that we have tomorrow will depend completely on what you do right now. And what I want you to do right now is go to canadaland.com join or click on the link in the show notes. It is like the cost of a pint of beer a month. It's the cost of a sandwich. And yeah, I think that we are offering you something that you can do. And we need you to do it. CanadaLand.com slash join. Thank you. When you stand here on the ice in the silence of the Arctic, you feel like you're on the stable platform of ice, but it's not, it's a living, breathing entity. And if you look carefully, you can see it's the ocean breathing up and down. This is a clip of aquanaut Jill Heinerth in an episode of The Nature of Things called Under Thin Ice. In the clip, Jill stands on the edge of the ice, intercut with shots of polar bears, seals, whales. I feel a strong imperative to tell the story for everyone around the world and show them what it's like above the ice but also underneath the ice, a place that's so remote that few people will ever get a chance to see it. That's the polished broadcast version. But how exactly did Jill get those underwater images of polar bears swimming above her camera? Well, we're actually working out of a canoe with a big motor on it, and our Indigenous guide is standing there with a rifle over his shoulder, though they're quite reluctant ever to even use it to scare a polar bear. They certainly never want to shoot one. Um, and so we're trying to evade it at first, and then we get into position so that I can roll off one side of the canoe and the polar bear is on the other side, but at a distance. And then once I'm in the water with the camera, the, uh, my guide actually backs up the canoe so the polar bear can then see my head, and that's when it comes swimming after me full speed. And at the last second possible, I let the air out of my, my scuba gear that floats me on the surface, and I start to descend. And the polar bear does a little chase, and then his buoyancy kind of takes over and he pops back up to the surface. Um, and then I have to wait for my guide to let me know with revving the engine that it's safe to come back to the surface again. Oh my God. So <laughs> if I'm understanding correctly, you're used as a lure mm -hmm. to have the polar bear approach the camera. You have the camera? Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is another thing to consider altogether. Okay, so you're a lure purposely drawing the polar bear towards you. As the polar bear approaches, it's not get out of the water, it's let me sink into the dark, frozen depths of the ocean and wait until the engine is revved on the canoe that means I'm safe to get back up and do it all over again. 
Well, the first time I did it, <laughs> I saw the polar bear dart left and right. He started to come down. I went deeper. And then I got caught up in this current that swept me underneath the ice. And I was warned not to go underneath the ice because if you surface beside the ice, there's usually a polar bear hiding that could then easily just grab you, um, much in the way they grab a seal out of a hole. So I was swept under the ice and I'm kicking, 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 working hard to get away and I'm really, really exhausted. And then I get out from under the ice and I hear the rev of the motor three times. So I know it's safe to come to the surface. So I start to surface and I wear reading glasses, right? So I had actually put top to bottom reading glasses in my mask so I would be sure to get the sharpest focus and be able to see all of my menus in the camera. But what that meant is that when I got to the surface, I could see the camera and the menus, but not very well in the distance. So I surfaced. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. I'm tired. And then I hear my guide go, oh, look, there's Jill. She's ready for another polar bear. And I see him back up the canoe. So I know he's revealing my presence to another bear. And I'm like, no, not ready, not ready, because <laughs> I can't actually see it. <laughs> so as I see the 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 boat pull away. I know there's a polar bear coming after me, but I don't know from where. So I just turned and did a head first surface dive and plummeted for the depths and waited there until I heard the engine again. I'm so glad this is a podcast because mm -hmm. whenever I do TV work, this is when the camera guy comes running over to catch me getting into my dry suit or wetsuit because they just think it looks cool. Well, let me tell you, it does not look cool <laughs> to see a woman squeezing her body into a sausage casing. You know? <laughs> so to keep warm, I'm wearing the equivalent of like a snowmobile suit, like coveralls that are thermal. There we go. For Jill, dodging polar bears is a side hustle. Her real gig is cave diving. And that's what James Cameron was talking about when he said, More people have been to the moon than to places that Jill Heinerth has explored deep inside our watery planet. So I'm sealed inside this bag, the sausage casing. <laughs> and uh, the suit seals around my wrists and my neck, keeping me, should keep me dry. <laughs> Sometimes we call them damp suits. <laughs> dry and warm. Cave diving is a subset of diving. One of the big differences is that when you dive into a cave, there's no light, no sun above, and you can't just float up if you're running out of air. So how do you navigate? What specialist gear do you need? And most important, how do you get out if you run into trouble? When I swim into an underwater cave, I carry a lot of extra equipment with me. So two or three of everything, and that's to deal with any emergencies. And when I go down into the water, I'm descending down. In the entrance, the visibility is about uh, two or three feet.
and it's silty, and even my exhaled breath can knock silt off the ceiling and the walls so that that rains down on me. And I have in my hand a cave diver's reel, and this is a spool with nylon guideline on it, and I run that piece of string into these tunnels, and that gives me a tangible thing, something tactile that I can hold on to in case I can't see, because there's no light whatsoever in these spaces. I take three lights, and, and I hope that they're all going to last. The walls are this white limestone. And now, as, I, as I'm swimming through the cave, I'm kind of fighting the flow. It's strong. You know, we often say that um, that in an underwater cave system, there's no mission control to call for help. And that's because you have to have all the equipment, all the gas supply that you need and all the backups um, to handle any emergency because every breath takes you, you know, sort of closer to the edge in a way. I mean, you've got a finite supply that you can breathe there. For me, cave diving has always been about exploration and satisfying a certain curiosity, going where nobody's ever been before. But I like to think of these caves as so much more than just looking at the architecture or, you know, the the geology of the cave. I mean, these places are like museums of natural history. So I've worked with scientists who are interested in paleoclimatology, so Earth's past climate. I've worked with astrobiologists, speleobiologists. Um, I've worked with archaeologists and paleontologists. So there's an awful lot that we can learn about these underground spaces. I mean, today we can even look at the water flowing through caves and find, um, you know, microplastics and, and all kinds of other contamination that is soaked into the ground from topside. So these are little scientific labs or museums that give us a chance to learn a lot. What Jill is learning moves from treatments for AIDS to new drugs for breast cancer to breakthroughs around COVID vaccines. But her superpower to go where very, very few have gone before and discover these things can carry a heavy price. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. 
Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Jill works with astrobiologists, archaeologists, speleobiologists, which, by the way, is someone who studies the life forms found in caves. Jill spans all these disciplines, serves all these branches of science, because she has the skills and the cojones to go where others can't. These days, she's working with a zoologist, exploring a 10-kilometer-long system of caves under the Ottawa River. There, she's hunted for a creature that has no brain, it has no eyes, and she spent two years on this. Today, she's found one, and she's brought it to the surface. And we're just about ready to start the process. So we're going to put this here, there, and we're going to start the, the dissection of these guys. So, so you want to uh, get them right in the middle. So one way to do it is to do exactly like this here. The man wielding the scalpel is Dr. Andre Martel, a zoologist from the Canadian Museum of Science. Can you tell me if we have another scalpel where the tip is slightly longer than this one? I'll do, I'm, I'm doing it. It's, it's working. This is a part that is pretty straightforward. Some people are hesitant to do it. And to do it efficiently, again, it's anterior. Then I can feel it here. And I just saw it, like a saw. Then I can feel the valves giving gently. And I go to the posterior end now. So here we are. So you're just cutting her muscles so that she opens up because she's so strong. She, the brainless, sightless creature now under the scalpel, is Lampsilis cardium. So this is a plain pocketbook muscle, Lampsilis cardium. And Andre's sliding this tiny, tiny little pipette down into the gill structure, into one of these like missile launchers. And he's sucking up the microscopic hinged glochidia, <laughs> glochidia. little babies. And I'm going to take a pipette and go in there and get these guys. Yep, mussels. The creature most of us would associate with a white wine broth and a plate of fries. But there's so much more to them than that. To begin with, 
The sex life of Lamcillus cardium is, well... What happens at this time of year is that the muscle uh, of a couple of different species grows a lure out of its own flesh. So imagine, this animal is brainless and it doesn't have any eyes, but somehow the female of the species knows that it's time to build a little fishing lure out of her own flesh. So this fishing lure extends out from between the two halves of her shells and she just hangs it on out there and vibrates this lure much in the same way like a flyer fisherman tries to attract a fish. She vibrates. By this point, I'm thinking less white wine broth and more one of the best scenes out of the Alien franchise where John Hurt's character is impregnated by the alien and then... These microscopic glochidia, they're called, will latch on to either the gill structure or the fins, so they'll dig into that fish and rob blood serum for weeks or months in order to feed. And through that time, they're just hitchhiking around the river, going wherever the fish goes. Mm -hmm. And then when they're big enough to survive on their own and they don't need to be fed anymore, they haven't harmed the fish, but they'll excrete this little enzyme and be knocked off Mm. into the silt. And then they kind of disappear from view for a couple of years, buried in the silt, until they reemerge as young mussels, able to start their own life that could be as long as 100 years or more. This episode is brought to you by Article, and it's interesting when a new way of doing something enters your life, and then that's just the way you do it from now on. I don't think that I have been in a store that sells furniture since I discovered Article. It's just now the way that I do this. I like their stuff a lot. I like the style. I like the quality, but I like the whole experience. I like not having to go shop in a store. I have Article stuff outside of my home. I have it here in the office. They have a curated assortment of mid-century, modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, bohemian designs. They make shopping for furniture so simple. And the reason why it's cheaper is because they don't have brick-and-mortar stores. And listen, they're so confident that you're going to like this as much as I do that they're offering you a deal that can be like as much as a 50% discount. Here's the deal. It's 50 bucks off your first purchase of 100 bucks or more. To claim this, visit article.com slash CanadaLand, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That is article.com slash CanadaLand for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. So I'm just going to sum up for the moment. You're engaged in a type of very specialized, highly trained diving that is so dangerous it requires you to have triple backup systems, uh, going into the dark, going into cave, holding on to a string. And in this instance, you're going after a tiny, well, actually it's a hand-sized muscle that uh, reminds us both of the Alien franchise and vampires, and it all begs the question, <laughs> why? Why, the, why these muscles? Why they're taking up your valuable time when you could be sharing a pizza with James Cameron, or I'll go back to your list here, uh, advising Google CXOs, um, or what else you got here? Be the first woman to jump into the ocean to film wild <laughs> polar bears. Why, when those are on the menu... Um, Are we going after these mussels in the Ottawa River? Yeah, well, these mussels are so important. They actually filter one to two liters of water per hour for their entire lifetime. 
each muscle. And I'm finding places in the cave where there's a hundred muscles in a square meter. So this is an unbelievable ecosystem service of filtering the water column because they can not just eat the food out of the water column, but they can actually grab, you know, PFAS chemicals like those forever chemicals or fire retardants, um, things that we don't want in the water system. And they could do a much better job than anything that we could possibly build as an equivalence. My job is to go into the cave and photograph um, these animals behaving as they do so that we can document them, but also to study the numbers, the diversity, the abundance of these creatures, because it helps us to understand what they're doing for the entire system. Because when I'm cave diving, I'm kind of at the beginning of the pipeline of the water system. So the water that comes out of that cave is going to feed the Ottawa River, and that's going to flow down to the St. Lawrence and then all the way out to the ocean. So it's cleaning the water on the way and allowing us to have a really healthy um, ecosystem downstream. So cave divers get to see that beginning of the pipeline. The cave in the Ottawa River is really small, so it's really not a very easy cave to be diving in. There are times when it's the equivalent of me squeezing underneath a chair in the kitchen, and sometimes it's even smaller where I'm squeezing under the bed, literally with my shoulders pressed up along the ceiling and my belly dragging along the floor, and I'm hauling along all these tanks and scientific gear, my camera equipment. And, and just as an example, it took me two years to get my first photograph of one of these muscle lures in the cave, because because even just approaching one of these muscles, sometimes I just disturb the flow of the water column and she sucks in her lure and goes into hiding for a little bit just to protect herself. So it's, it's not an easy task. <laughs> and as far as I know, I'm the only one that's ever gotten these sorts of uh, pictures of this behavior happening. So in this world of audio, I can see you guys, and I say you guys because the listeners up to this point will not know that Jill is sitting next to Robert her husband. And I can just share that in previous conversations we've had where we've talked about the danger of what you do, and I pushed a couple buttons, uh, Robert was wondering if I was acting as a marriage counselor in this conversation. So let's explore that a little bit because we've touched on the, the personal dangers, some of the safety requirements, some of the danger of this, but it's, it's actually a far more dangerous endeavor than we've been talking about so far. And I guess the easiest way to put this is that in those previous conversations, you said you had recently lost a couple friends who were cave divers. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, it's something that happens often, unfortunately. Uh, I've, I've lost over 100 friends to cave and technical diving accidents um, throughout my career. So, yeah. Now... Robert, a hundred people you know in this field have died, but as someone who I know accompanies Jill on these dives and you're the one who sees her bubbles as she goes down and has to wait for them to reappear, what's going through your mind when we talk of these numbers? Over the course of the 16 years or so that I've known Jill, I've become close to some of her cave diving friends. Uh, Guys that, you know, I, I became good friends with, like, outside of cave diving. I socialized with these people, and I knew that they were incredibly talented and incredibly experienced. 
And then all of a sudden we get a phone call or a, a text that this person is missing. They're overdue. Uh, oftentimes, you know, these cave dives start at, you know, seven or eight o'clock in the morning and they have a particular time that they say they're going to return. And when they don't return, they're considered overdue. And the entire cave diving community just lights up. You know, there's a, there's a phone tree, a text tree, and people start rushing to the location. Unfortunately, it's not always a rescue. It's usually we found it's their body. It's never a rescue. Yeah, it's, it's, never, never, it's not a really a rescue. That's true. When Jill was writing her book, we were discussing how to talk about this and what to name the chapter. And so we named the chapter, My New Dead Friends because that's who these people are to me. And they're some of the best in the world. And unfortunately, these people are folks that Jill has worked with as colleagues. Uh, she's learned from them. And I look at it like being married to um, either a police officer or a firefighter or someone who goes into knowingly into a dangerous situation as their occupation. And it's it makes me anxious. It really does. You know, I've... <laughs> My background is in the military. I spent most of my adult life in the U.S. military, and I've been in some dangerous situations. But more people have died cave diving than I knew in my entire military career. In the last month or so, we've lost two people. And these are people that are at the top of the game. These are not just somebody out on a lark who's a scuba diver who went in further than they should have or didn't have the right equipment or the right training. These are some of the best in the world. And all it takes is one misjudgment, one 25 cent O-ring to fail. It's an extremely, extremely... Unforgiving. Unforgiving, yes, mm -hmm. an unforgiving. And I say it's a numbers game. So when I think about Jill who has, you know, like 8,500 dives, I look at the numbers and I think, oh, okay, so is 8,501 going to be the one and yeah it makes me extremely anxious um there have been times in our marriage where uh it's been an issue where i have actually said usually after we've lost someone i say jill what else do you need to do i would appreciate it if you would stop cave diving i was gonna say it's, it's usually more like, how much more do you have to do yeah. before? It, when are you gonna give this up <laughs> Well, it's true. I mean, yeah. Jill has done everything you can possibly do in this, uh, what you call it a sport or, mm -hmm. you know, this endeavor. She doesn't have to prove anything anymore. Uh, and I've often encouraged her that that's what she needs to do. Uh, write books, go out and do public speaking, educate other people, uh, carry the message. She doesn't need to be down there in the cave. But I kind of do. I mean. <laughs> but you I realize also it would be like asking Tiger Woods to stop golfing. <laughs> So it begs the question, it puts the muscles in a new light. And the question has to be, is it worth it? I have asked Jill many times, like, what's, what are you doing this for? And I know she's not doing it for a thrill or for adrenaline. But I mean, that's usually what people think. I mean, people think that, that it is like jumping out of an airplane. Cave diving, you know, is, is an action adventure, adrenaline sport. But it, it's not that for me. Um, I don't have a rush. I'm actually really focused when I'm underwater. But I think that doing this kind of science is really important. There are very few pure scientists that ever have the, the skills that, that I do, like for life support and technology to go to these places. And what we're discovering inside caves literally may be the next cure for cancer. 
Well, I, I was pretty skeptical about that. <laughs> no, no, it's true. I mean, the the animals that we find inside of caves have unique capabilities for survival in these tough environments. And it turns out that that might be the source for new chemicals and pharmaceuticals. Like, there's already, you know, drugs that, that have come from filter-feeding marine organisms. So there's drugs like AZT that's so critical for the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. Or there's drugs that have improved the outcome for women suffering from breast cancer. There's a really critical COVID drug. That all came from filter-feeding marine sponges. So the sponges and the mussels inside the cave literally might be that next cure for cancer. That's really about it. I mean, uh, the bottom line here is that Jill was the premier woman cave diver in the world before I met her, and she's the premier woman cave diver in the world right now. And this is an avocation for her it's part of her being. I've seen her when she's not diving. When her gills get dry, she's not real happy. So I have to kind of weigh that as well, you know, the day-to-day. Yeah, for the guy that sits home and hates waiting, he also sometimes says, "Um, honey, I think you need to go diving. (laughs) So it's such a conundrum. Okay, regulator checked. Functional and need a second one. Okay, so I think I'm going to um, get in here at this water filled sinkhole. So it's uh, kind of a black hole full of water, and there's a bit of a whirling vortex. <laughs> okay, baby, I'll see you at 1017, two hours, okay? Okay, right. I will be here. Have a good dive. Thank you. That is your Canada land. I hope you enjoyed it. It is our crowdfunding season. This is when we need you to do it. The time is now, and our time is running out for this campaign. Please, if you value this podcast, support it. Go to canadaland.com slash join, or click the link in the show notes. There is a myriad of ways in which we show our appreciation. Ad-free podcasts, bonus content, exclusive content, some really interesting interviews we just put up, behind-the-scenes stuff, access to us here, live and virtual events, merchandise, all kinds of stuff. But look, the reason why you do this is to make our content available to everybody else for free. Come join us now at canadaland.com slash join. Email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We are on Twitter at canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there. This episode was reported by our senior producer, Bruce Thorson. Additional production and editing from Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofo. Editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So-Called. Syndications handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. <laughs>